I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And we're professionals. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Mike. Would you like to explain why we let down the audience? I don't think that's the right way to characterize it at all. Okay. I think it was a heroic effort Mm -hmm. to deliver something above and beyond what we normally do here on the show. And it experienced some some headwinds, uh, some some technical difficulties. uh, There was a heroic effort, but I don't think the heroic effort was the video recording part like that was just like that was that felt pretty easy for us anyway i think the heroic effort came afterwards which was what you attempted to do (laughs) to get the video out there so yes we recorded in person last time and we uh said hey we're doing the video version go to the youtube channel watch the video version it's going to be way better we're going to be doing lots of visual humor (laughs) in the episode lots of gags uh go check them out and then uh, can you explain what happened after that? <laughs> okay. So for some context, Mike was in town. Mm-hmm. We're hanging out. Like, oh, wouldn't it be a great idea to record in person? And so it just so happens we actually have a brand new set that is, I would say, almost entirely done under construction. <clears throat> it looked great. Almost Looks entirely great. done. Looks great. Uh, it was great for us being in it. It was a good set, good environment. It looked great. Uh, so we had a slight technical difficulty. So the set is going to be where we're rebooting this is. So essentially mm-hmm. we've got five cameras that are set up there. It's meant to be able to do like multicam and all this kind of fun stuff. As of right now, we're still waiting on some gear, but we had enough gear to get at least a single camera set up. We had the microphones, the whole deal, right? We recorded for a little over an hour. Totally fine. I dumped the footage. I scrubbed through it. We're all set. You head home. Good to go. Um, it's like that night or the, the day after whatever, I loaded up in Final Cut. I'm like, look, this is the simplest edit in the world. I'm literally dropping like an hour and 20 minutes on the timeline, trim off the ends, you know, there's one cut in the middle or whatever, super, super simple. I hit export on my super fancy M1 Max, walk away, and two minutes later, I look over and it errored. I was like, oh no, that's not good. Um, I think, because our episode was delayed, because we were trying to go live like, Thursday. I think we went live like Sunday or Monday, if I recall. Yeah, I think, yeah, we were going for Thursday and I think it went up. It was definitely up before I got, before I left to go home and that was on Sunday. So I think I put it up on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I tried everything. So the problem was, it was a really strange problem. I could play all of the video back totally fine. Now, upon closer inspection, there was one small part, and I think this is where things kind of caused problems, where the video kind of like skipped a few frames, but that's not like a normal thing, but like it played back, so I wasn't really concerned. I didn't even notice it at first, but it didn't matter if I ran it through Final Cut, through Compressor, tried to re-render it through Media Encoder, Handbrake. Hell, I literally screen recorded. I left my MacBook <laughs> on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> I, I screen recorded my entire timeline running through the hour and 10 minutes or whatever. And I mean, I chopped the thing up. I tried to cover up where the frames were broken. I tried to export it in like two minute chunks. Nothing I did worked. The best I could do, I got three minutes of the video to export, and the rest just was garbage. 
So if you've watched the YouTube version, you'll see our smiling faces for about three minutes, and then it crossfades into my expertly crafted audio edition graphic. <clears throat> and that's the, the video podcast. I tried, Mike. I really tried. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. And you know what? I think we actually found out about six hours after the uh, episode went live, we found out what went wrong. It was a okay. file transfer issue. I was running this software like to like fix the file and like try to repair stuff and everything I could think of, right? Um, and it turned out that it wasn't actually the video file itself that was sort of corrupted. The file, when it was transferring off of our new server, there was some kind of like FTP issue. And for some reason, a few of the frames in the, in the container, I think, got lost or skipped or whatever. And no software that I have had any idea how to handle like a handful of frames missing. Because I think after that, at that point, even though it could play back fine, like Final Cut and whatnot, I don't think anything that was actually trying to edit or render that video understood why suddenly all the frame numbers were off and then just everything was confused. Even though we had multiple clips in that project, everything was just super confused. Nothing knew how to handle it. I just got nothing but errors no matter what. So uh, thank, thanks for helping me battle test the new set, Mike. Oh boy, that was... <laughs> hey. So much fun. We test drove it, right? That's what we do. Hey, That's we what test we drove straight the wall. <laughs> At least the episode. We had an episode. At least we didn't lose the audio. I felt like that was the most important yes. thing. Yes. But yeah, yeah, there yeah. You That go. was definitely more important. <laughs> if you went to the YouTube channel and saw Austin's apology, <laughs> now you know. <laughs> now you know why. <laughs> now you know why. I was so sad. I was so sad. And like you and like uh, Jim kept like like slacking, like, hey, how's the thing going? I was like, I'm trying. I'm trying. Because <laughs> <laughs> the audio was done uh, like with, like within 24 hours or whatever. And it's kind of like, hey, bud, how you doing? Is everything okay? Especially because we had, we had so much talk about F1 and like mm -hmm. our like predictions for the finale. Mm -hmm. And like I'm watching the race on Sunday. It was like, oh, man, this episode is not aging well right now. It's not even live yet. Oh. But yeah. after we recorded, we got to spend some more time together. And we did, I think, basically what anyone would expect we would do. Uh, we opened Pokemon <laughs> cards for like an hour. Uh, come on. you Okay, when we were sitting there, you were telling me you hadn't opened Pokemon cards in a very, very long time. Do not misunderstand me. I loved it. I had a great time. But I think it's kind of what people would expect we would do. Uh, if we were going to be hanging out, and we did. We opened an entire uh, booster box, and it was a great yep. time. We had a great time. Even though even though we opened an entire Evolving Skies booster box and pulled a single full art, which I still think is a tragedy. Tragedy? Travesty? It's a tragedy travesty. travesty. It's a tragedy. <laughs> it was very sad. But we walked through. I'll give you a tour of the little Pokemon shrine that I have. Can I just say? Pick a, a little? Little Pokemon medium? shrine? You have an incredible, kind of obscene collection of unopened Pokemon <laughs> cards. It is everything I hoped it would be and more. It's just like a bookshelf, a couple of bookshelves, just full of stuff. So good. So good. We were like just picking a fine vintage of cards off the mm -hmm. wall to open. It's like, hmm, would you like the, the 2020, sir? Oh, this <laughs> very fine chilling rain boxes. Oh, it's a particularly fine. Yeah. This was a good was fun, year though. for booster boxes. <laughs> <laughs> this one's aged particularly nicely. <laughs> oh, man. But, but how about you, man? You've just gotten back from vacation for like 10 minutes or so. But you were yep. gone for like two weeks. And I am 
immensely jealous. Yeah, it was two and a half weeks in total. Because after, you know, we'd been to, uh, we'd stayed in LA for a bit, went to Hawaii, then we came visit you, and then we went to Disneyland for a couple of days. Best vacation ever. Ah. And then ah. right now, uh, we're visiting my wife's family uh, for Christmas. So we had a nice. couple of days back at home and then back on the road again, which we kind of knew was going to be the case. Like that trip, the, the, the trip that we were on, we had booked and moved that trip like three times last year. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. it was just, we just weren't sure when we were going to be able to leave. And we kind of knew that it was going to be tight. We, we ended up actually moving the start date of this trip back a couple of days. Like we were going to leave on Thursday and we left on Saturday. And in the meantime, we were able to get our COVID boosters, which is great. So it was worth uh, moving it. So we were happy to get that sorted out. So, but yeah, we're back, back on the road again. But the vacation was great. I felt, I feel so like, I just feel really refreshed after it. Like I feel pretty reset again, which is a good feeling. Like I feel like I've been able to like draw a line now. It's like kind of like everything that was before that trip and how everything that's after that trip. And so I feel pretty good from it. It seems like it was a really good reset for you. Oh, it really time. felt uh, like, especially it really landed for me. I was listening to the most recent episode of Cortex, which mm-hmm. would highly recommend an excellent yearly themes episode to, to wrap the year up. But just listening to kind of the way you described how the the vacation kind of helped you reset. And especially like what really like sort of stuck with me is kind of the idea of trying to like we're both in the same position in a lot of ways. And that sort of like we're our own bosses. We don't have, you know, set off time or whatever. So it's like there's always a lot of incentive, I think, for us to constantly be working. Right. There's mm-hmm. always more shows to record. There's always more videos to do. There's always more stuff. And it's like. I think it's really easy to fall into the routine of like when you're in that kind of position to just always be working because you've always yep. got more stuff to do. There's, There's always never something like- you can do, I think, is is like that's the biggest problem that I have anyway. It's like there's always work that can be done. So like just taking time to do nothing has been a, something I've not really been able to to do in the past year and a half or whatever, two years. Because, like, I feel sometimes guilty when, like, I have, like, a day off. Because, like, a lot of times, yeah. like, a day off would just be, like, I'm sitting around watching, like, movies or just something, like, just, it feels like a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, I think it's important to have some time to sort of recharge and reset. Because, like, this year has been a lot, I know, for me personally, right? I've just, like, there's just been a lot of stress. There's been a lot of huge projects. And just, there's just been a lot that kind of feels like it's been weighing on me. And it's, like... I haven't really taken the time and I didn't even realize that I feel like I needed the time to just kind of relax, reset, recharge and sort of think about new ideas and everything. Cause I feel like it's easy to just be in the grind 24 seven, but hearing you talk about sort of how refreshing taking a little bit of time just for you and for your wife, it just, to me, it's just like, Oh man, that sort of, that definitely kind of got me thinking like, all right, it's obviously difficult with uh, some of the things in my life to just hang out and, and, and chill. But like, trying to build some time, trying to actually like set up like, you know what? I need to restart, reset for 2022. I haven't figured out how I'm going to do it. And it might just be me taking a couple days at home before, you know, the the end of the year or whatever. But uh, it definitely got me thinking, man. It seems like it's a super healthy thing that I've completely neglected for myself. Yeah. And I think everything, everything you've got going on, like personally and professionally, I think maybe like me uh, in 2022, making sure that you're um, keeping a focus on just yourself and having time for yourself might actually be yeah. a, a good priority for you, I think. 
Yeah. Well, it's also, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It's not just personally, like, I mean, you know, whatever it's, it's work is fun and I enjoy it. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, I can't wait to get off at five o'clock or whatever. But also I think it's important professionally to have ideas, especially because we're in such a creative field of just being able to recharge and reset. Because I think it's easy when you have a mountain of stuff to do mm-hmm. to lose the creativity that's so important. It's just mm-hmm. sitting there and you're like, oh, I've got to do the next thing. I'm like, oh, maybe I could spend some time thinking about this. Nope, because you've got another thing to work on. And it's like, uh, I was watching, uh, Marquez did a video with Mr. Beast. Uh, I was just going to bring this up. I, I, I think yeah. this video is as... Uh, Will, if it's like, is hitting creative people big time, like big time, like mm-hmm. it hit me. I was like, oh my god, I know, I know how he feels, but it's like, you know. But obviously, uh, Mr. Beast working on a different level to basically everyone. Uh, but <laughs> yep. what what I also found super interesting just about that was like, even though he works on such a ma- more massive level than me and you, right? Like on all of us. Yeah. Uh, how much I could relate, like we could relate, like I can relate to what he's saying. And, you know, like that was just, that was super interesting to me where it's like, we all have the same creative, like in your, if you're in a creative field or if you are uh, working on a creative project of your own, like a side, you know, maybe you're working on a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever. There's just parts of it where it's like, we can all uh, sympathize and empathize with each other because we actually all go through the same thing. It's just a different scale. Yeah, yeah. No, that, and then, Dude, I know, it's got me thinking again and uh, coming back to the episode of Cortex and kind of some of your conversation with Gray as far as focusing on, like, I think it's easy, especially as YouTubers, to complain about like, oh, it's the algorithm, this or that. It's like, mm-hmm. look, man, every job, every field has competition and changing landscapes and stuff. It's like, I think it's really easy and there's a really prevalent kind of thing in the YouTube community to blame the platform or this yeah. or that. And it's yeah. like, yeah. things are constantly changing. It's up to you. It's literally your job. Like, I feel like we've had it easy for a very long time. It's like, it's your job to keep up with this kind of stuff. Or you don't. Yeah. And then you won't be as you know big and successful as you want to be. Like, you don't ha- have yeah. to do these things. You know, I like I would say for myself, like with podcasting, there is like a whole other level of how to make podcasts and stuff like that. I'm just not interested in doing so, yeah. you know, there is there is potential that I'm leaving on the table, but I've made my choices with what I want to do, and I'm yeah, yeah. good with them. But, like, it's different if you're in YouTube, I think, because there's a bit more pressure on it than there is for uh, in my business. But, like, you can, you can make those choices, but you just got to be cool with those choices. And if you, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you just decide, like, all right, I don't want to, like what Gray was saying, like, I don't want to follow the algorithm so much and I'm going to do what I want to do. And he did that and was fine with that. But now I was like, you know what? Now I want to change it up. Like, and you just make the yeah. decisions that way. I thought that was something interesting to think about. And like, yeah, as you say, like, you can be like, oh, the algorithm screwing me again. But it's like, well, but this is actually just part of your job. Like, exactly. Exactly. Like, the excuses, I just... I know it's just everything the last sort of little while between all of these different things like man like my my head has just been spinning as like man I'm really ready for a little bit of downtime I feel like I really need a bit of a reset Mm -hmm. because so much of this year has just been on like autopilot frantically going from one thing to the other and there's this headache and there's this problem and there's this big thing coming it's like I'm I'm more excited like sort of with a lot of this stuff kind of put together like you know what I feel like there's a lot of great stuff that I've just not been doing and just a lot of good content, just a lot of stuff that I've just been completely leaving on the table because I've been mm. such just a autopilot rush, one thing to the next. So I don't know. I, 
I don't have like some grand plan for next year or like, oh, here I'm going to make 75 videos next year and they're all going to be awesome. It's like nothing like that. But I'm excited to spend more time with the creative things that I feel like I am good at and mm. less time with a lot of the random nonsense, which is important to keep the lights on, but also does not do me or like professionally or sort of creatively any favors at all. So the benefit of where you're thinking is like you've you've it's the same with me with like the spending time. I don't have a plan. I've just spotted it's a thing that I want to do. So now I need to spend time working out how I'm going to make it happen. And that's kind yeah. of where you are with that too, right? You want to make t more space for yourself. All right, now you've got to work out how to do that. You can't just magic it up for yourself, but it's the realizing that you want it. And then now, right now, I've got to start taking steps to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited. I feel like this is obviously our last episode of the year. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm starting like this the last week. I'm in the office for the year. And you know, there's like CES, a bunch of stuff around the corner. But I'm ready <laughs> to sort CES? of... CES? Well, some version of CES is happening in a couple of weeks. I don't know what that version is. Yeah, but there's, uh, there's something. <laughs> are they still doing some stuff in person? As of right now, yes, there is still right. an in-person CES happening the, uh, I think it's January 5th, I think, uh -huh. um, but that huh. first week of January. So yeah, well, that's a whole other thing. That's for future Austin to deal with, but uh, current Austin right now is is ready to uh, <laughs> to charge up and use a Thunderbolt. No, that's not the right no. metaphor. Uh, I'm going to use Calm Mind and then Rest and then Oh, nice. Snore. There you go. Yep, yep. There okay. we go. That's better. And then it probably self-destruct after that. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website had gone down? How would you know if, like your customers, they couldn't click that buy button or fill out a trial form? You could stumble across this by luck. Maybe somebody emails you. Maybe somebody contacts you on social media. But that means you've already lost out on new customers and given people a bad experience. You need something that's going to tell you when everything's running great on your website and more importantly, when it isn't. So you need Pingdom. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every single month. That's more than 400,000 a day. And for as low as $10 a month, Pingdom helps keep your website online. It doesn't matter how big your company is, whether you're a startup with a few people or you're a Fortune 500 company with hundreds and hundreds of employees. You need real-time alerts about critical website issues. You have a website for a reason. You want people to come visit it. If they can't, you need to know. And you can also with Pingdom customize how you're alerted, whether it's via SMS, email, or via one of your team's collaboration apps that you're already using. Pingdom even tracks and analyzes your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a website, you need Pingdom. Take charge of your monitoring your site in just a couple of minutes and go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now and you'll get yourself a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code TESTDRIVERS at checkout to get a huge 30% of your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. So follow-up for you, my MacBook Pro, the Wi-Fi issues that I was having, Completely fixed by macOS 12.1. Ooh, so I have not updated yet, but okay, that's a very good news. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny. So I have still been bouncing back and forth. Actually, I'm recording right now on my 13-inch MacBook, although that's almost entirely because all my recording stuff is set up here and I haven't gone through the hassle of getting it all set up on the 14. Mm -hmm. um, but Mike, I actually have a little bit of a different device that's been sort of um, absorbing 
a, a lot of time for me. Oh, I, don't yeah. know, uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe this was mentioned before or something, but I love the iPad mini. That's uh, really the you got best. It. You got it. I got it. I got it. So, okay. Now, I'm going to just give the disclaimer right now that I've had the iPad mini for about a week, week and a half now. So fully still in the honeymoon sort of phase. But it's great. I really love it. I love oh, it so good. much. It's so great. It's such so a good. good oh. So I was already really antsy about this thing. You know, Ken's been using one. Someone else over in the office has one. I was like, okay, I kind of want it. And seeing you sort of take it with you uh, last time we recorded and you're sitting there like doing your notes on the iPad and it's so tiny. I'm like, all right. But actually having it in my hands or really having it in my pocket, being able to fit an iPad. Like the other day, I didn't even bother taking my laptop bag. Like I always take a laptop bag with all like my dongles and chargers and stuff. I literally just put the iPad mini in my sort of uh, hoodie pocket and that was it. I just walked around like that. I mean, mind you, it's not quite small to be super comfortable there, but it was small enough that I felt like I had a close enough to laptop replacement that I didn't even have to think twice about. And that to me was like, Ooh, ooh, there's 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 something to this. Well, I'm pleased. Which one did college you get again? I got a Starlight, and I did get it okay. with 5G. That's something that I okay. found myself really appreciating with iPads is I don't have to try to, like, pull my phone out. I don't have to try to, like, hotspot or whatever. Like, I like being able to just turn on because I do turn off the uh, cellular because I feel like it drains battery really quickly. So it's always off until I need it. But it takes me all of two seconds to go and tap the cellular button, fire it up, and I'm just connected. And I don't have to think about it. So I've got that and I've got the smart cover. Yeah, it's, it's really easy to get connected with them. Like there's no, there's yeah. no, like it's no delay at all and you can just, just turn it on. And uh, so I'll ask you, what kind of tasks have you been doing? Have you been doing work tasks from this device? I have. So again, Honeymoon uh, phase, I've been doing almost everything that I can. Um, some problems, which we'll get through, obviously, when I'm trying to do my whole life's tasks, uh, essentially, on an iPad. But, yeah, I've been using it for email. I've been using it for watching videos, airplaying a lot, to, you know, cuts of videos onto the TV, huh. uh, going through, uh, I've been doing, like, some spreadsheets on it. But it's been mostly been sort of more like admin tasks, which, to be fair, is definitely like 90% of my work day-to-day is just lots of stuff that it would be nice to have, you know, the keyboard and the trackpad for, but I've actually been pretty decent um, on the iPad. In fact, all of the notes that I wrote up for my part of the doc for the show today, I actually wrote up last night on the iPad mini sitting on the couch. And uh, Landscape or portrait? Landscape. So I actually, hmm. so I have the smart cover. I set it down, almost kind of like uh, tilted toward me, the, the top of the screen tilted toward me. And I just sort of type as if it's a small keyboard. I feel like I'm actually pretty decent with it. When I've had iPad minis way back in the day, that was the way I always used them. And I find that especially with the newer one having a slightly larger screen, it's fine. Like I definitely, when it comes to like using some punctuation, you have to go and open up the second menu to go pull that up. That kind of slows me down a little bit. Right. But I feel like I can type on an iPad mini ballpark for most tasks, ballpark fast enough that it's not really going to bother me. Um, and the just the tiny size has been great. Typing is totally fine. It's just like, you know, I wondered how you were feeling about the, you know, how much of the screen the keyboard takes up. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it, is, it is pretty tricky, but you can get used to it. It's it's not that bad. Yeah, and I definitely have been switching keyboard modes very frequently. So when I have okay. it like sitting down like a table, I'll have just the full-size keyboard up. I will use either the split or the floating 
a lot anytime I'm using it yep. in handheld mode. Yeah. It does get a little janky sometimes. Like I'm not a huge, huge fan, but having the floating keyboard with swipe generally gets me most of the way there. Oh, so, that's great. I mean, I use the swipe keyboard on my iPhone almost exclusively. Like I actually don't really mm -hmm. type. I just swipe. Um, and so I like having that on my iPad mini too. Some apps don't, don't do a good job with it. Like I, I don't yes. know what it is. Like I think apps yeah. that use like non-standard text entry fields sometimes get pretty confused about the fact that the keyboard has disappeared. But by mm -hmm. and large, it works fine. It's just like, it's mostly just UI looks weird as opposed to things flat out not working. Yeah, yeah. I will say though, I don't know if it's because the iPad mini is new or it's a different screen sort of DPI or whatever, but I have had some issues though, some bugs. So um, actually just yesterday, I was trying to airplay video to the TV and I froze it so hard, I had to restart Springboard. Like <laughs> the UI was still spinning. What happened there? <laughs> the, dude, it was so weird. So I tried to airplay something to the TV the video froze, so I, like, I tried to start and stop it. When I did that, the video played, but only in like the little shadow of the little like playback bar on the bottom. So the Ugh. whole screen was black. I just saw a little sliver of video playing through like the translucent playback controls. It was playing and it was working, but I couldn't do anything. I couldn't like hold the power button, nothing. I literally had to restart Springboard to get the thing to do anything. Like, it wouldn't lock, it wouldn't do anything. Um, and then uh, I still use the Gmail app, which I know I probably shouldn't. Uh, but I, there's a little bug there where every time I try to add an attachment to an email, the app freezes and I have to just restart it and dig into hmm. the web version of Gmail. So That's uh, weird. Mm. Google's really bad with with responding yeah. to stuff like this. Like, yeah. they, they are very slow um, when it comes to like fixes and stuff. Or like I've seen some applications that haven't, really optimized for the new screen size so they have like black bars on the sides Ooh, because the iPad mini is it's it's like technically a different screen size to what they've had before mm -hmm. so you remember when they brought out the iPad Pros with the larger screens it was just the same yeah. some apps were kind of windowed a little bit um, and I've still spotted some apps from big companies in on the iPad mini that, that are like this but this is just the way it is. I mean, it's a real shame that the Gmail app just completely uh, <laughs> dies for you. That's not so good. Yeah, it's not like I don't need to attach uh, something to an email five or six times a day, and then I'm just like, oh, right. And then like I was trying to just log in to, on the browser because usually, like, I feel like half the apps on the iPad I don't actually need to use because I can just yeah. open up Safari and it yeah. works fine. Um, but then when I was trying to switch between my accounts on the full version of Gmail, it kept defaulting to like the 2004 version of Gmail and I couldn't get it to swap because every time I knew, open, it would like open a new tab and default to old Gmail. And at one, at one point I finally just got frustrated and went to go grab my laptop and airdrop the file over like less than ideal. Yeah. But there's so much good with this iPad mini. Also, something that surprised me, especially coming from the 11 inch iPad Pro. Yeah. I don't know this again, honeymoon process. I haven't spent enough time with it, but it feels like battery life might actually be better look battery life is way better than i thought on such a tiny ipad how, i never how think about it, for it. You? i never think yes. about it which is which is the ipad way like what i it's always been so good for like in my opinion with the ipad of like you never really think about charging the ipad just sometimes you do you know yeah so, like i love it yeah like for the 11 like i felt like especially for me um and i think this is a little bit more situational because where i sit at my desk at work there's like a sort of skylight above me so very often the screen just needs to crank to 100% without me even really thinking about it just because mm. it's a little bit bright there and i feel like that drains the 11 inch super quickly so i haven't used 
I, I think I use the iPad a little differently than many because I'm generally not sitting at my desk with that. I'm sitting like, you know, at a couch or, you know, wherever at a, a desk or something that's not massively bright behind me. So, well, I mean, it, that screen just straight up cannot get as bright. Like, yeah, you know, that's too. Uh, so, yeah, okay. Uh, the ghosting is bad. Like, I can deal with it. But between that and also, I don't know if it's just because I've been using the iPad Pro for a while, but I feel like the animations in iPad OS feel so much worse at 60 compared to 120. Like, obviously, it's doable and like it's a minor sort of nitpick, mm. but it's like it's almost like they forgot to turn on the motion blur for 60 FPS, whereas mm. like on 120, you don't need it. Like, when you especially uh, when you go into the app library, that's the thing I really notice. It just feels like it's like, I almost can like, well, not almost, I can see the individual frames. And that's not something I normally see. It's just like, oh, that looked like I was dropping some frames there, which I actually don't think that's the case. I just think that if there's not, there's like no motion blur, there's there's something that feels a little weird about it. It doesn't feel as smooth for sure. Like, you know, and I've said this in general, right? Like the the only trade-off in my opinion for the iPad mini, you know, other than, you know, like obviously you, you, you it's a smaller size, et cetera, et cetera, right? But like, I don't really consider them trade-offs that's like that's a it's a different product like you want it because it's smaller the trade-off for yeah. me is the screen's quality just isn't as good it just yeah. is not as good as any other ipad in my opinion like the ipad air <laughs> screen looks nicer than this like you know there are well, i think does the ipad air have promotion no no i think it's no. only on the ipad pro yeah but even that and, screen ugh. i found to be to be of a seeming higher quality but who knows yeah, and especially I think the worst is if you're scrolling black text on a white background, like if, like you yeah. know, half of the internet when you're scrolling to web pages, it is an absolute blurry mess as soon as you scroll more than like an inch per second. Like, do you have you seen uh, the jelly scrolling thing that it does? Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. I see it too. Yeah, and then like there are some small things which I don't really have a complaint on, but it's a little bit of a learning curve. Uh, I constantly pick up the iPad like upside down or wrong side up or whatever. And the fact that the volume buttons are where they are, it constantly trips me out, especially when I'm reaching for touch ID. Like half the time I pick up the iPad, especially if I don't have the smart cover on, it takes me a solid like second to understand which orientation it is and where I'm supposed to put my finger. Uh. Thankfully, they had that little sort of like UI element of like, hey, scan on this side or this side, wherever the actual button is. So that's definitely taken some getting used to. <laughs> I like that that UI element's there, except for when I want to find out how much battery life I have on my iPad. Does it cover it? When you open the cover, uh -huh. it's like, hey, this is where you unlock. But that's the exact same spot where it shows you your battery percentage. <laughs> so you have to pull oh. down to get to control center or unlock the iPad to find out how much battery you've got if you just want to peek at it. Okay, well, that that uh, maybe that one needs a, a, a Rev 2. Yeah, uh, less than ideal. Gets moved a little one, bit. To be honest, less than ideal. But man, I'm happy. I'm very happy with the iPad mini. That... I do think has helped me make peace with my 14 because I just don't have to use the 14 as much, right? The 14 is a little bit more for like work, work. But for the majority of what I need to do on a day-to-day -day basis, I can just keep the iPad mini either in a pocket or in my bag, but just something that's super small, always connected. I'm, I'm happier with the iPad mini. Like I had somewhat high expectations that this would be like a really nice little device for me. Now that I've used it, I'm very much convinced that I'm going to probably even out my work a little, little bit once I'm out of the honeymoon uh, phase. Like, I'm probably going to stop writing significant chunks of stuff on the iPad mini when I can yeah, help it. Yeah, you'll stop doing that, but, for sure. <laughs> you'll yeah, stop. I, I mean, it's it. nice to do it for now, and it's nice to know you can. Exactly. I, I would be surprised if you made the conscious choice that that's the place you do that stuff. So I'm going to be yeah. keen to see for you, because I know for me, 
while I've stopped doing some things, I've started doing more different things too, right? Like I was saying, like, uh, it, I took my first long trip with just the iPad mini as like, this is what I'm going to watch all of my media on on the plane on like this nice. little screen compared to all of the other screens that I have, especially like I was thinking, like I'm also bringing my laptop, which is a 14 inch mini LED HDR display. <laughs> Do I want to put movies on that? And I did put a couple on, but when I was on the plane, I was like, I don't want to get that laptop out and then have to deal with it on nope. the tray table. The iPad mini, perfect as well. It's like, oh, you're coming into land? Super easy to just hold this thing in front of your face. when You know, like it's, so yes. I've, I've only con- added more things. Like I've added more things as well as I've like evened out too. So I'm going to be keen to see if any kind of difference occurs for you for maybe different things uh, that you want to yeah. use that product for. Look, if this show is shown anyone anything it is that we like weird unusual form factors of devices and like mm-hmm. we, we don't we don't want to use the normal stock thing no, I mean, no, no, no. we gotta use the weirdo <laughs> no z flip and ipad mini and whatever so i feel pretty confident we're gonna be on ipad minis for at least a little while this is very much on brand for the chest drivers <laughs> Hey, so when I uh, was visiting uh, your studio, you had a delivery come in that you were very excited about, which was the analog pocket. Yes. So Uh, can you tell people what the analog pocket is if they don't know? Yeah, so it is an FPGA-based Game Boy, uh, modern Game Boy. So it plays, it's not like an emulator, right? It has not only hardware, which is designed to exactly replicate the original Game Boy, as well as Game Boy Color, Game Boy Pocket, and there are adapters to play some other titles. Like, I know you can do Game Gear right now, and I believe there's some, I think it's like Neo Geo or something that you can play. Game Gear, Neo Geo Pocket, and Atari Lynx. Oh, the Lynx, yeah, yeah. But as of right now, like, out of the box, you pull it out, and you can load up any Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, or Game Boy Color game into it. And the start of the show, I mean, it's got a lot of nice features, right? Like, it's built well. It's got, you know, some solid buttons. It has not only, like, USB-C and, like, a micro SD, but it also has, like, the original Game Boy Link cable, which is cool. Mm-hmm. So you can actually can connect this to other either analog pockets or Game Boys or what have you. But the star of the show, without a doubt, is the screen. The screen is legitimately 10 times the resolution of the original Game Boy. Like, it is... It's it's square, right? So or it's not square, but it's like close to square. Whatever the original aspect ratio is, yeah. like it's 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 much taller than most displays. But oh my god, Mike, it is so detailed. So when you've got ten times the resolution, it has the ability to basically perfectly or near perfectly emulate the look of original Game Boy games. So if you're playing like an OG like green Game Boy game, you can change the palettes and all this kind of stuff. But if you leave it in the default mode, it is building the sub-pixels. It is building the little lines between pixels. It is absolutely incredible, man. Like I've never seen Game Boys look like this. And I play like obviously plenty of like emulators. I play, you know, Game Boys with modded screens, like LCDs and all kinds of stuff. And those all make a huge difference. But none of them recreate the way that the pixels look, the way that, thankfully, it doesn't have quite the same motion blur. But even, like, the just the color, right? I think a lot of times these LCDs, they'll look good, but it's like you can tell it's, ah, it's a little bluish on the greens or whatever. But, like, this analog pocket perfectly replicates the way that I think Game Boy games were in my memory, not the way that they actually were, which was a dark, blurry, four-color mess. I guess this is one of the interesting things that I've seen from seeing some of the reviews and seeing people talk about it of like the Game Boy games, the cartridges are capable of more than the Game Boy hardware could have done like from a visual level, right? And like the music and stuff, they they have like a way to make the music sound better and all that kind of stuff. 
which has been really interesting. One of the things I struggle with with this thing, though, is, I mean, I don't think I... I you could maybe tell me if I'm wrong. I never really yeah. want to play old video games. Like, I always think Ooh, I do. Oh, Mike. I always think okay. I want to play an old video game. And then I play the old yeah. video game, and I'm like, this is an old video game. <laughs> <This> video <laughs> games, modern video games are better than old video games. Ooh, man. Okay, so if you turn off the nostalgia part of your brain, sure, I, I can agree with that mostly. There's a lot of old games, uh, I mean, surprise, surprise, mostly Pokemon games that I can so easily go back to and play mm -hmm. just like I did back in the day. Like, okay. I played through, you know, so the, the Game Boy copies of Game Boy games on every platform they've ever been really released in. And, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of nostalgia there for me. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, like, I do understand. And the, the thing is, this is definitely a high-end specialty piece of hardware, right? Like, it's really well-designed. Uh, honestly, I think the biggest problem is it's expensive. I think they actually, they recently raised the price. They raised they? the price. Because yep. it was available, oh God, I don't even know. They put this on pre-order a long time ago. It was a year ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. And so they finally yep. started shipping the first batch, but they've raised the price to $220, which is a lot. I don't think it's outlandish for something like this, which is a very specialty piece of hardware. But I think the bigger issue are the ship times. Yep. So if you got in the first wave, congratulations, you have an analog pocket. Uh, Mike, have you opened up the pocket website and tried to uh, look at like when you can place an order right now? Do you have any idea of what the ETA is as of right now, the end of 2021? I mean, I do because I did, I did consider putting an order in. So yeah. I'd seen that like when they were putting it back up for pre-order... It was like any time between the next three months to the next like sixteen months, basically, is <laughs> all like, mm. all longer, I think. Um, and so I was like, I, I I was there when the pre-orders came up, and I put one in my cart, and it didn't tell me what my order date was going to be, so I just didn't do it. I had a friend um, who put an order in at the same time as me, and he is in the I think Q four twenty twenty two. Uh, bucket so I mean right now it's uh, what is it 2023 right now to pre-order yep if you go to the website right now it is fulfillment group C 2023 not first part of 2023 not middle just 2023 uh, which fair enough chip shortage difficult to get your hands on products like I totally understand that but I think from a practical standpoint you really need to like this kind of product to spend that kind of money and wait a year at minimum, a year and a half, maybe almost close to two years realistically mm -hmm. to get your hands on it. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think it might be a little sooner, but realistically, we know that chip shortages are not going away. And obviously analog, they're a company who make excellent products, but I don't get the feeling that they are, they, they don't have this kind of scale to put in these huge orders to really fulfill stuff in the way that I'm sure they would ideally like to. Right. So the pocket is great. I look. I think it looks excellent for Game Boy and Game Boy Color games. Game Boy Advance games also look good, although I will sort of caveat that even though it's very sharp, it's not quite the same aspect ratio. And also, it's not quite the exact like 10x pixel doubling. So I actually find that Game Boy and Game Boy Color games look phenomenal, absolutely amazing. Game Boy Advance games just look pretty damn good. But for the analog pocket, man, like I, if you're that kind of enthusiast, if you know that this is something that you absolutely want, it's good. It's very good. But I think for a lot of people, you could also just mod an old Game Boy with a screen or 
just play an emulator, play it on your phone, and you'll get a very similar experience. Like this is one of those like mm. I mean, you know, it's 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 like a high-end artisan keyboard or a yep. pen or pack of, you know, Pokemon cards or something. Like it's one of those things where if you know you want it, you want it. But for most people, it's probably not much more than like, ooh, that screen card looks good. Yeah, because this was me, right? Where I was like, if I go to an order and it says you'll have it in three months' time, yeah, I mean, I feel like I could Fair. get enough enjoyment out of this thing. But I'm not going to wait another 12, I'm not going to wait 12 months for it. Like, I don't want it that bad. Like, something that I would, yep. I would order it and be like, oh, I know I'm going to be super into this when it arrives in a year and a half or whatever it will probably end up being. And like, I expect that, like, that 2023 is analog hedging a bit because. Who yeah. the hell knows, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, it just like just a general question. Who the hell knows? Nobody knows. Like for me, yeah. I know that like I am much more excited about Playdate than analog, and I know that they oh, are really? different products. But I kind of bucket, I put them in the same bucket in my brain, right? Mm -hmm. um, of like these like enthusiast hardware doing like fun game experiences. And what excites me about the Playdate? is all of the new things that they're doing, like the way that the games are delivered. It's a bunch of experiences I've never had before. Like they're, it's like do, they're doing all this weird, quirky stuff. Like it's just like a new thing where really with the analog pocket, it's like this is a new handheld, but it's going back to the games that you know and love, which is honestly like a lot of these games have other ways to play them. Um, yeah, yeah, Including absolutely. just like I have Game Boy hardware. Like I have nice... Yeah. Game Boy hardware that I still own. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I got a Advance SP, which is I will say the Advance SP really uncomfortable to use now. I find <laughs> so that was like also yeah. one of the things I wasn't sure about of like how comfortable does it feel to use? Like I, I I just am not sure by looking at the analog pocket. Like it does it feel nice to use it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's it's very similar to a DMG. Uh, the original Game Boy. It's, right. I don't know the exact dimensions. I know it's not quite the exact same. And I will say it is a touch front heavy. So when you're holding it, like I guess the screen, like it almost feels like there's a little bit of weight toward the top of the right. screen. It's really minimal though. If you're comfortable with a DMG, which I think most people are, if you have mm -hmm. remotely like sort of normal sized hands, it, it feels pretty good. It's a little bit chunky, a little bit big to kind of like fit in like a pocket or something. They have like, they sell like this clear case that you can put it in, which is very impractical, but very cool and sort of 90s retro. But <laughs> That's the perfect way of putting it. That clear case, <laughs> it's not, do you put it in that case? Uh, oh yeah, it, it's two pieces. Okay. It's two pieces? Yeah, you, right. you crack it in half. It's like this weird, like, you know, like the old school way where like you have to push really hard on the very, very brittle, like clear plastic oh and it kind of like creaks open. Like yeah. it literally just separates into two completely different pieces, wildly impractical, but it definitely brings me back to a time where that was just the way that you would buy like cases for your Game Boy or whatever. Like they definitely sort of replicated that. Because it looks like it turns the thing into an art piece. Like that's what the case reminds me yeah. of. Like. Yep. It's like, it's oh, more for you display, put it in I this think. case and then never touch it ever again is kind of how it looks. It's just kind of funny to me. Like, I, What I like, what I genuinely like, I love seeing this kind of stuff. Like, I love seeing new companies make weird hardware. Like, This is uncategorically a weird thing to own. Right? Yes. yes. It is a weird thing to own. It's like, this device plays really old games faithfully, but it's made with new technology. Like, a less weird game thing to own is those like the 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 more emulatory focused devices. I think 
because it's like, well, yeah. you just get the you just get the games and you put them on there and it's like blah 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 blah. But it's like, no, no, you need the cartridges. Don't have a cartridge, you can't play anything. And it's like stuff yeah. like that. This is like such an interesting and like quirky thing, and I and I love it. I just know that I, it's not a value thing for me. Like. I I genuinely believe I could get two hundred dollars of value out of this, like two hundred dollars of playtime out of this, and I would enjoy it. It is just for me right now. It's just the weight. Like I I would yep. like what when these things eventually go into stock, maybe in twenty twenty three. I could imagine myself yeah. picking one up. It's just not something where I'm like I'll give you my money now and wait an indeterminate amount of time for it because I don't think I'm that excited about it. I think you're dead on with that. I think if this was available and you could order one and it'll be here in a month or two, I think it's not an easy cop because, again, it's still relatively expensive. But, I mean, it's certainly you're getting quality for your money. But with a wait time like that, we're living in a very different world there. And who knows? You're right. Maybe by the time if you pre-order now, it shows up in 2023, maybe that next wave, you'll just be able to buy one at that time, right? Like So mm-hmm. I, it's cool. I like it. Uh, I think uh, it's probably a little bit more of a conversation when they're actually in stock. But I think for an enthusiast, it's definitely a very unique item. And it does replicate Game Boy games in that screen in a way that I've never seen anything else do. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Hover, which is one of our longest running sponsors here at Relay FM. When you have that big idea, where do you go? Your business starts with a domain name. For so many entrepreneurs, for so many people that have that thing on the side that they're working on, Hover is that first big leap that you take. They have over 300 domain name extensions that you can choose from. So no matter what you want to build, no matter what brand you want it to have, there's a domain name waiting for it. Hover have the very best technical support. They're on hand to answer any questions you may have, and they're dedicated to getting you online, not upselling you. Hover has a really great experience. When you go to their website, it's super easy to search for domains. They give you tons of great options as well. So like if they don't, if you know if the domain that you want's not available, they make a bunch of recommendations recommendations for you for a great one that could be instead which i love setting things up is really easy so like once you've registered it going in and managing all that stuff is great they have wonderful documentation if you need to do anything tricky but as i mentioned also a great technical support team they do tons of sales as well on popular top level domains one of my other favorite things is to do free who is privacy this basically means that your personal information isn't put in a public registry that anyone can search a lot of other domain registrars make you pay for this. Hover enables it for free on all domains that support it. And it's just, this is what I like. When I register a domain name with Hover, I feel like I'm getting an, an actual good customer experience. I had had some bad ones before I found Hover, and I'm never going anywhere else. All my domains are there. It's fantastic. So go and buy your domain and start using it today. Go to hover.com slash test drivers, and you'll get a 10% discount on all new purchases that is hover.com slash test drivers make a name for yourself with hover a thanks to hover for their support of this show and relay fm Uh, (laughs) this is actually kind of interesting i realized today we have not spoken about Mm -hmm. the result of the final grand prix right we haven't spoken about this no you were on a plane during the Grand right, but Prix. We also have not had any conversations afterwards about this. I don't know about you. That was intentional because I wanted to save it because I, mm, I have some thoughts. I'm sure we both have some uh, some thoughts on that one. Yeah. So I <laughs> it's just, I missed the, I missed the final race. I was on a plane, and so I landed, and I immediately checked the result. 
saw that Max had won. And I was like, oh, what a bummer. Right. But like, that was yeah. kind of it. And then later on, I was treated to, here's what happened. <laughs> and I will tell you right now, I am so pleased I did not see that race because I would have been, oh, I would have been Mike. very upset. Oh my God. D oh God. Watching that live was what a roller coaster of like, I mean, Lewis dominated the race, right? I mean, I don't think we're spoiling anyone at all here. And if, we are spoiling you. Apologies, but uh, welcome to the test drivers. Uh, Lewis dominated the race, right? Like Lewis, I mean, Max tried everything he could at the beginning, you know, with Checo being an absolute hero of holding him up. Like Lewis had every sort of disadvantage in the book thrown him at, at the race. And Max got as lucky as you could possibly get, right? And I really do think that is the reason why Max won, right? That being said, though, what a season. What a race. Oh, my God. Dude, man. You enjoyed it? It was the season, the race. I don't think out of the entire season, I think there were probably two or three boring races out of, what, 21 races or whatever this year. Like, it was absolutely incredible. Like, mm -hmm. and what a way to finish. I, I know. I know we have slightly differing opinions on how the season ended. But, like, what a great story. A championship rival Oh. oh, I have no issue with the story in that sense because it is fitting of the season because yes. the season yes. was full of this kind of stuff. The yeah. problem is they made a decision, right? Michael Massey made a decision. I believe he made the wrong decision. He had a set of options he could have taken. I think he didn't yeah. take the right one. I think, yeah. honestly, at this point, the FIA and Massey himself probably wouldn't disagree. I don't think anyone would disagree with that statement. Like, could have been done differently. Like, there were maybe other options available and or different sets yeah. of circumstances that got them to where they could have ended up. I think it would be pretty hard to argue at the moment that that was the right decision. And I'm not saying that Lewis should have won, right? Like, I believe that, but mm. that's not what I'm saying they should be saying. I just think they could have set things up slightly differently to allow for a more fairer feeling outcome. Yeah, I mean, I am fully a supporter of finishing a race, finishing a championship under racing conditions. Like, if they would have just called it a, a race and just been like, oh, well, uh, it's going to take too long, I think that would have been really sad, right? And uh, I get the idea that, you know, they're trying to facilitate a race and that Michael Massey wanted to get some cars through to let Max and Lewis sort of duke it out for the last lap, which was incredible to watch, even with the massive advantage that Max had and Lewis, the disadvantage that he was sort of carrying. Yeah, I've seen that final lap and like it, it was amazing. I would recommend watching that whole race. I know obviously watching the highlights is one thing, but the the buildup, just the the ups and downs of the whole thing and then just the ridiculousness of when Latifi crashes and everyone goes like, oh my God, is that it? Uh, it's, uh, it was incredible. But yes, I think in hindsight, they should have thrown a red flag. Like I think mm -hmm. that would have been the best case scenario. Let everyone change tires. Yep. Get all the lap cars out of the way. Yep. Let Max and Lewis have it for, I guess it would have, at that point would have probably been like three laps or something. Yep. That would have been a great sight to see, right? Yeah, because then if Max won still would have really yeah. sucked for Lewis and I would still feel sad about it, but I wouldn't yeah. feel like he was cheated because they were leveled if that in that yes. scenario. Because the reason that 
a potential reason that Max won is that he had fresh tires, right? So he had the oh, yeah. edge on Lewis that way. Like, I mean, I don't want to say it's the reason, you know, like, it is. because even with fresh tires, both of them, Max still could pit him, like still could have, could have, could have beaten him, you know? Yeah. Um, but like, it definitely helped, <laughs> right? Max. Oh, to- absolutely. And so like, if they would have both been at a situation where they both could have been on fresh tires, I at least feel like Lewis would feel better. Like he would still feel sad, but I feel like he, f- I assume he feels like it was stolen from him. I mean, if he has been essentially silent since the race. I know we gave like the post-race interview. He's been a hun- he has not said a word. He has not posted a thing to his Instagram. Like, I don't like to get too lost in the F1 drama, but sometimes I can't help it a little bit. Like, he unfollowed the Formula One uh, Instagram account. (laughs) But I feel like I know why he did that. People are trying to be like, oh, because there's like now this like, uh, there's a potential, is he going to pull out? Which he's not going to pull out. That's insane. But my expectation is he just doesn't want to keep seeing the replays. Yeah, I think it's 100% it. No one protests via Instagram. Like, no, no. Because I know it's been bothering me to keep seeing all the yeah. Max content. <laughs> I'm so sad about it, you know? <laughs> oh, I think you're 100% right on that. Uh, I mean, look, it's, I don't think it's any secret that I think Max drove an incredible season, right? I mean, the fact that he was first, second, or, like, out with crash damage for every single race of that season. He led, like, what, half of the laps. He won the most races. Like, I mean, by all measurements, I think Max had one of the most incredible seasons I've ever seen, right? And the fact that he had Lewis to keep him honest, and they went back and forth so many times to the point where we literally went into the last race of the season completely level on points— Incredible, right? I mean, absolutely just something that I've never seen in any Formula One season ever. It was great, right? I do think that while, yes, if we're talking about who earned what or whatever, I think Lewis earned that last win, right? I think he definitely did a better job there. I do think Max deserves the championship. I I feel like he earned that with the way that he drove and performed all year long. But the thing is, none of that matters because it's racing, right? Like, Unfortunate events happen all the time, right? And there were so many throughout the season that were, you know, between their accidents, between sort of break magic or, you know, mm-hmm. Baku break or magic. whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, like there were so many things that happened throughout. And you yeah, think about I saw, like... I saw an interview with Jensen Button. He was kind of talking about the season. And he said, like, this has been a pretty unprecedented season for him in that every single race had something. Absolutely. I could agree with that. Like, I was thinking back, I was like, that's been one of my favorite things of this season is that even the quote-unquote boring races, at least over the whole weekend, there was a thing. Like, for example, Monaco, right? Monaco was pretty chill, right? Not a lot happened. But there was a great story of the weekend, which is Charles Leclerc, right? Mm -hmm. That he put it in the wall, right? He should have won that race, but he put the car on the wall. You know, and it's like that was an interesting story for that weekend. You know, like there was things like even even the most boring race of the year, which was Spa, right? Spa was the rain race, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Still, that was like boring. (laughs) It was a horrible thing, but it was still kind of interesting to watch. (laughs) Like, like, so, you know, so. Oh, my God. It was it was incredible. Like, I think the real winner of this year, and I've said it before, and I will 
keep saying this for a long time, was us, the fans, right? New fa- Especially the new fans, right? Like, No, you know what? No, I disagree hard on that. New okay. fans are going to be spoiled. They're going to think that F1's like this all the time. It's not. Most of the time, it's way more boring. <laughs> That's a very good point. Uh, what I was thinking is like new fans are in now, right? Like if you were like, True. oh, I've watched this and now I want to see what F1's like, you are now like hooked because you think it's always going to be like this. Yeah, Where, like, yeah. I mean, this next is- <laughs> year, right? Next year is going to be weird for a bunch of ways. Like one, I saw somebody say this. It's like the perfect story is like the world champion cheated out of his world, of his eighth world championship coming back to take the eighth world championship great story right mm. like that setting mm-hmm. up is going to be amazing max verstappen going in needs to prove he can do it right yeah like because he has done it but now needs to prove that he can unequivocally do it right like that this wasn't a yeah. fluke you know, but I mean, but that's, you know, that's like a thing for him. like, he had an incredible season. Definitely. Like, you know, echo everyone else has said this. Max deserved it as much as Lewis. They were level. He, they both deserved yep. it. Right. But now like yep. if you're Max Verstappen, you will always have had that season where like you yeah. will go down in history as you were the champion, but like, and nobody wants an asterisk. Right. Yes, yeah, it's 100%. There's an asterisk over his championship, yep. which I think is a little unfair, but yeah. So, but there is, I, you know? And then yeah, also, it, you've got the car changes next year, and you've got mm, George Russell. Yeah, like, I think next year, if I were to make a prediction now, which I'm sure we'll actually make some real predictions before We will make predictions season, later, like official ones, yeah. I could see next year being a bit of a blowout. I think with the new car, some one team is going to figure it out better and they're going to dominate. I don't know if it's yep. Ferrari. I don't know if it's Red Bull. I don't know if it's Mercedes. I don't know Us. if it's even McLaren. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like well, you could have a weird thing where like yes. Williams, like, you know, from out of nowhere, yeah. like it could happen. It could, it could. But I do think... We should really appreciate 2021 as one of the greatest seasons of Formula One ever mm-hmm. and something that we're going to be talking about 20 years from now, the same way we talk yep. about Prost versus Senna or something of just like, what an incredible year. And just, oh. Even if something happens and Lewis and Max don't share a podium for the entire season, it yeah. doesn't matter. They now go down as one of the great rivalries just for this year. Because previous for this year. years, the rivalry really has just been basically in Red Bull's mind. Right. <laughs> like, I don't mean that to be mean, right? Like, the rivalry yeah, yeah. was one sided. They did, Mercedes yep. didn't have a rivalry with Red Bull because they were destroying them, right? Like, it wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't a thing. Like, Lewis and Max of like, obviously, Lewis knew that Max was the up and comer, right? But he wasn't right. fighting against him because the gap was so big all the time. Like, every now and then, Max would beat him. Great. But we all know next week is going to be a 20 second gap between them. You know, so, yeah, it, like, it yeah. hasn't been a thing. But this year has cemented their rivalry because they have an entire season of crashes, right? Like in a season, they have come into each other more than most rivalries did for like five years, right? Like the the clips that they've got Mm -hmm. will just last forever. Like, and it's we have been treated to like a like a real condensed rivalry between the two of them. And I hope yeah. that it continues. I believe it will continue next year. And as you say, unless even Mercedes or Red Bull just mess up 
like one of I mean like I think we've seen Mercedes are in, uh, they are they are um they are not infallible right because course, yeah. they had a half of a bad season they missed something didn't go right and Red Bull everything went right but who knows right like Red Bull in the next couple in the next couple of years are kind of out on their own when it comes to engines right and so yep, that's going to yep. be intriguing like what is that going to be like for them um I hope that they do a good job so there can be another engine supplier. Like, I think that would be be pretty cool. Yeah, I think they will. So I know we're going to probably maybe after like preseason testing or something, we can make some predictions uh, to get a little bit more intel because we're completely yeah. flying blind for next year right now. Yeah. But do you want to go over some of the standout moments of the season? Because I think yes. for me, there are a couple of moments that I think I if when I look back on 2021, I'm just going to be burned in my, uh, my brain. Yeah. Max and Lewis and Monza with Max literally like his tire going on top of Lewis's car and hitting Lewis on the helmet. Yeah. What a perfect metaphor for the year. Like, yeah. oh my God, dude. I'm oh. going to drive over you to win. <laughs> right? It was incredible. Yeah. Like just yeah, that visual. So and then, and then it's sort of so perfectly encapsulated too. Well, Max just walks out and doesn't care about Lewis. Just like, yeah, like screw you, dude. And just mm -hmm. like runs away. Or on the flip side, Silverstone, right? Where Lewis... Uh, maybe or maybe not makes a little contact. Well, definitely makes some contact, but maybe or maybe not was earning that corner sends Max hardened to the wall and then Max is in the hospital and Lewis is out celebrating. Like, I, I think both of those incidents are like maybe not the greatest sportsmanship in the world, but also what like just incredible drama of just like, God, you just don't see that kind of stuff in Formula One ever, especially twice in one year. Yeah. Visually, and historically, I think the Monza crash will go because it was weird looking. Yeah, so weird. Because you all, you know, you had Silverstone. You even had um, oh, where was it? Where you know, where 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 Lewis rear-ended Max. Oh, that was uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. Saudi right? Arabia, yeah. Like so, they have had a bunch of these things, right? But the Monza crash that just looked weird, right? And and gruesome and exciting and terrifying right of like f1 cars do not drive over the top of each other very often it's like the, you know, like you know they go up and stuff but this like one car on top of the other car like they'll show that clip forever you know what i would love i would love to buy a model of that incident of the oh, cars on top yeah. of each other <laughs> someone's gotta make that that would be so good <laughs> oh god but yeah those i think that's the highlight for me i think just uh honorable mention to Lando and yep. uh, Sachi just slide like the heartbreak of him just sliding off the road and Lewis of course right behind him just zooming past for his first win <sighs> yeah I'm gonna agree with you on both of those they will both be burned into my memory like those two moments another one for me is uh, the qualifying performance that George put in at Spa that led to that trophy oh, oh my yeah 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 like yep. just my, I remember my feeling watching that. Like I was just like on a train and was like, oh, I'll just watch qualifying today. Like for no particular reason. <laughs> and it was like an incredible qualifying. It was also the one where yeah. uh, where Lando put it in the wall, right? Like, yep, yep. Right? And so like, it was just an amazing qualifying. I mean, and then it led to him getting a P2 trophy, right? Because Spa was blown off. But like just that qualifying performance is incredible. I think another, yeah. like one other thing for me is I just really enjoyed uh, Checo this year being a match for max hmm. you know like okay when i say yeah. a match it's like obviously no one's gonna get to his level but it's in the way that bottas was a match for lewis like 
that yeah. you can put someone in the car who can turn out good performances because Max has not had that really in all the time that I've been watching. Like, yep. Yep. It's been very, his, his teammate has been very inconsistent where I feel like Checo got up to speed pretty quickly and was, and was very consistent for the rest of the season. I think it's worth a mention that uh, Checo almost caught Valtteri in points by the end of the year. Yeah. And yet Checo, this was his first season with Red Bull. And to be fair, I think Red Bull across the whole of the year maybe had a slightly better car. So obviously both Valtteri and Checo lost points, but uh, I, I, think I think Checo did a pretty good job. Though. Like in your first yeah. season at a team to, to be delivering it under it, what is incredible pressure there. Um, and yeah. it was incredible pressure, especially, you know, like you can imagine, you got to imagine Red Bull a little bit annoyed. They didn't do both, right? Mm-hmm. That they didn't get the yeah. constructor. Yeah. Uh, so like you can imagine that the pressure must have been pretty hot on Checo, but I think he performed very well, very well. I think so too. I'm curious, what are your big disappointments from 2021? Obviously the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Yeah, how can you be disappointed? <laughs> I am I, disappointed because I, I wanted Lewis to uh, win. I'm very okay, disappointed. Okay, okay, but objectively, that was one of the best things that could have ever happened for the sport. A last lap, they're tied on points, head to head showdown, all the drama. No, I think no. The better thing is if it if there was no controversy around it. In my no opinion, no one talk about it. No one talk true. about it. It's better for the sport, man. Like Elon Musk wouldn't be tweeting F1 memes. I'm gonna agree with you there. Every the whole world has been forced to hear about this, no matter what, yep. right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's a good is good for the sport. Uh one of my bigger disappointments is McLaren and P4. They deserve P3. Ooh. They just had some really bad luck. Like they deserved to beat Ferrari this year. They just had some situations yep. that were just you know, Lando had just terrible luck. Like, and it really was just yeah. like a bad luck stuff. Like, he, you know, like he should have been, like, Lando should have been uh, P4 himself, right? Like, he just he got was pipped P3. out. He was. He was P3 for like half the season, it yeah. felt like. And he could, I think he could have done, he could have done it, but like, he definitely should have got P4. He just got pipped out by the fact that Sainz picked up a podium, right? Because mm-hmm. he, he held off Leclerc and then Sainz just leapfrogged him at the end. Um, yeah. But, and like, I would say that. You know, Danny Rick had half a good season. <laughs> Which yeah. I think I know people love Daniel Ricardo, but I think half a good season is about as much as he can give most of the time. Um, <laughs> like I feel like there's this constant thing about him of like, oh, he's just learning the car. Like I feel like for for, us, for the years I've been watching uh both Drive to Survive and just been watching like the the, the seasons as they unfold, there's always yeah. this idea of like He's just getting accustomed to the car. And he had some great performances mm. this year. So he's maybe gotten accustomed to this car a little bit quicker. Uh, but I would have, I really would have loved to have seen McLaren in, in P4, P3, uh, sorry, in P3, them in P4. Yeah. I think it's been a bit of a shame for them. I think they deserved it more than Ferrari, honestly. I think so too. Although Ferrari, I mean, Lando did a great job. Danny Rick was a little so so. But I mean, both Science and Leclerc absolutely just were top top class the difference maker is ferrari are consistent this year and mclaren yep. were inconsistent and so like yep. you know i think uh mclaren had higher highs for sure right like they had a one two right like they had higher yeah. highs yeah. um but they also had lower lows and ferrari were very consistent throughout the whole season yeah yeah for me I, aston fell off so yep. hard this year i had 
high expectations for Aston Martin this year and they did not deliver. I think I think Aston suffered with whatever Mercedes suffered with, but harder. Low rake. Yeah. yeah. The low rake, I think, really hurt them both. Mercedes were able to claw a lot of that back. It to me almost felt like Aston when they didn't perform well the first couple of races, they just gave up, like, whatever, we'll just focus on next year's car. Like, that's kind of the vibe I got, because they didn't really, they were just there. I would agree with you. I think they were like, look, we know we're not going to make the big difference here, so why don't we just, you know, let's just do the best we can with what we've got and focus on next year. Because for them, I don't think it would have been worth them putting the time in that Mercedes put in. I really don't. Like burning yeah. engineering resources, yeah. like because Mercedes were at the top, right? Mm-hmm. So they had to put that work in to keep what they have. Aston put in a good performance. Like if you, if you, you know, like all things considered, fine, right? They did fine, and that's been better than that team has done in some past years, right? Like yeah, recent absolutely. history has been like, oh, they had a bad year, <laughs> and like that has been, a, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I would say that they did an, they had an okay year, and I guess with the hope that next year they're going to have a great one. Yeah, and I think it's that's ultimately probably the right move. But I still like after how great they did last year, just seeing how far they fell off was wasn't great. You know what was? Uh, this was almost like I was going to put this in a standout, but it ended up being a disappointment for me. Uh, was Alpha Tauri because. They had an incredible car this year. I mean, Pierre was like, what? He was like P, uh, the top six, like half the races of the yeah, year. Something. Pierre like, had an incredible make- season. Incredible. And look, man, I love Yuki just as much as the next guy. First season, rookie, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, Pierre Gasly absolutely carried the team all year, right? Yep. I mean, it's yep. not even yep. Yep. close. Without, without uh, a shadow of a doubt. Difference between uh, Pierre, 110 points. Yuki, 32. That's a huge difference. Yeah, and Yuki, like, he's fast, but super inconsistent. I I like the guy. I'm really happy that he's getting another shot next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think next year is 100% a make or break for him. I don't think, if he can't pull some speed together consistently, I think he's going to, but he's got one more shot, right? He's got one more shot. shot. And I, I, everyone always kind of likes to talk about how, like, oh, you you know, you can't teach speed, you can teach consistency. Uh, clearly, he's super fast. And in fact, I think the last race of the year was the only time he actually like out qualified Pierre. So hopefully, uh, works well for him. But he's put in some shining spots. Like he has, you know, like in, when he held in, off in Lewis, races in like race weekends, he has had some marks where it's like, oh, you're really good. Like I can see you're yeah. really good, but he hasn't been able to keep it together. Um, and and I and like you, I I. I'm pulling for him. I want him to have a better season next year because I would like to see him stick around. But I think at the moment, there is a lot of really good young talent. So I don't... Mm -hmm. uh, Really, right now, everybody, I think, is probably pretty aware that seats aren't safe, I don't think, in in the mid mid to low teams, I feel like. Because there is... In in Formula E and in, in, in F2... And F3, there's a lot of really good young talent right now uh, that I think mm-hmm. that all these teams are keeping their eye on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last uh, honorable disappointment mention, uh, Alfa Romeo did literally nothing all year. And yeah. they were a relatively okay team. And the amount of like P11s they got or just dumb decisions in like the pits or in strategy, like 
they should have easily beat Williams, uh, and they just didn't. And I, look, man, I'm happy that Valtteri is got a seat for next year. I'm happy that he's still in the sport because I do think he has more to offer. I think he should have gone to Williams. I have next to no confidence in the Alpha team. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, man. I, mm, mm. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm not feeling super confident with his move there. They just no. I don't know. I don't know what it is. They just didn't execute well. They didn't. They had a decent car. They just nothing happened for them this year, like at all. Like it's just they were just there and yep. they didn't score points a lot. At the end. Although at least they weren't Haas. Mike, there's a little uh, little postscript on this. Oh yeah. Are we after the credits? Yeah. Are we still recording? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I heard a little birdie tell me a little something. Um, something about more F1 talk might be coming to the podcast and possibly something. I heard maybe the test drivers or test driving some some new topics or something. We'll see. Who knows what 2022 might hold. Hopefully a good F1 season. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. <laughs>